aren't they? I mean, if you don't have one, I'm not rubbing it in. But they're, they're nice things. And, and here's, here's why they're nice. They've got these things called apps on them. Anybody got an app on their smartphone? Um, what's your favorite app? Anybody got a favorite app? Just yell it out, whatever. Well, unless it's embarrassing. Don't, yeah, there's a Bay Life app. Very nice play there. Whoever yelled that, very, very good. I w- that's not what I was fishing for, but that's great. There's a Bay Life app. You could use that. Uh, there's a Bible on there and all that stuff. What, what else? Google Maps is a fun one. What else? Oh, those are great. Yes, all of those. Uh, I can't hear you on any of them. You know what my favorite one is? You're going to be surprised. It's the calendar. Yeah, some of you are like, really? Lame. Totally lame, Mark. It's just a calendar. But seriously, how much? Does anybody use the calendar app on your phone? Who runs their life by their phone's calendar? Anybody do that? Before we had these phones, we would just have a, a day planner, maybe a, a wall calendar. Uh, but if you're like me, forgetful, uh, it is crucial that you have something in your life that reminds you to do what you're supposed to do. Some of us, that's our spouses. Uh, uh, some of us have assistants at our jobs, that maybe that's their job. Um, I'm grateful for mine. Her name's Tammy. She's awesome. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm away from everybody else, those little reminders that come up 10 minutes before, they're great, except when they come up 10 minutes before you're supposed to be somewhere and you're an hour from that place because you forgot you had that appointment. Who's been there? Anybody been there? Anybody ever gotten a phone call from someone that you promised to have lunch with 15 minutes into that lunch, and you're at another lunch with someone else, and you're like, oh, and it happened because why? You didn't write it down. That's why I love the calendar app. There's a a close second, the reminder app. That's a fun little thing, too, on there, right? Uh, I usually double up. I'll set alarms. I'll post uh, paste uh, post-its on my forehead written backwards so that when I look in the mirror I can see where I'm supposed to be next. Now these are all necessary because we're forgetful people. Now would it surprise you then that in the Bible uh, the Bible writers often say the word remind. Hey remind these guys to do this. Why? Because well he knew you know Paul in this case and other writers who have used that word they knew that the things that we hear about God they're going to tend to slip. In fact I, I think church is a weekly gathering so that we can, many of us, maybe some of us are learning stuff for the first time, but many of us are here so that we can have what? A reminder of how this is supposed to go. Th- things in the Christian life can just slip. We, just, uh, we can know that we know that we know we're supposed to do this and act this way and treat people this way and do these things, but then life happens, circumstances come, and those things that are just should be second nature to us just go out the door. So, As we see here in the first verse of chapter 3, it says, remind them. Whenever you see the word remind in scripture, it means that the people who are being reminded were taught this before. And and it's something that they should already know, but maybe it's it's like we've talked about, it's kind of slipping. That's interesting that the two things that he has uh, Titus to remind the Cretans about have to do with government authorities and our neighbors. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. It's going to go on and it's going to say, uh, remind them uh, uh, to, be, uh, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling and to be gentle. These are all in the second verse. We're going to get to both of these this morning. And we're just going to have two just simple reminders of how we 
in this world that we live in, in this country that we live in, are meant to function as Christians. I know you watch the news. The world's crazy. Isn't the world crazy? I mean, there's just stuff going on in, in, in Europe, Paris, and Mali, and all these. It's just crazy. And as everything swirls and, and, and spins, uh, we must be constantly rooted in our role in God's world. Here, in our country, in our neighborhoods, in relationship to our neighbors, so that we don't miss out on the opportunities God has for us in his mission, and so that we honor him in how we live in this life that he's given us. So, that's where we're going to go this morning. A couple questions to answer today as we look at our role as citizens. How are we as Christ followers to live as Americans? Let's just go to us as citizens in our role in this, uh, in this country that we live in. I, I, I'm proud to be an American. That should be a song. I'm proud to be. Uh, I'm grateful to live in this great country, but I, I want everybody to remember this and say it with me if you can. I'm a Christian first and an American second. Everybody say that if that's their heart. I'm a Christian first and I'm an American second. My Christianity influences my Americananity. I think I just made something up. Uh, but my, uh, and it goes in that order. And so what God says in Scripture about me as a citizen, uh, that dictates how I live as an American. We're going to see that uh, uh, when it comes to governing leaders, go to the next slide, yeah. When it comes to governing leaders, we must be ready to serve in our country as citizens wherever we can. I put that last thing in there because there's going to be times where maybe we can't submit to the authorities of our government. We'll talk about that. But, but as a general mission, we as Christians, when it comes to being citizens in our country, we need to be ready to serve, to serve our country, to serve our governing authorities wherever we can. I got that from this verse. Let's read it together again. Remind them, these Cretans, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. That's governing agencies, governing authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. There's, there's two, I highlighted the verbs in here basically, but be submissive, be obedient. Those are two words that basically, uh, well, they bring up to me the idea of being compliant. You've got to comply. When, when, when the government sets up a rule, we comply. Uh, they lower the speed limit, you lower your speed. Some of you are like, I don't know about that one, Mark. We're going to have to go on to another one. Hurry up. No, whatever the government says, uh, that's what you do. I got my, uh, anybody get their taxes for their, for their houses passed? That was, that was always a fun day, isn't it? I got to pay what? All right, and you go protest. Our government's great. Just so you know, being democratic, better, all right? And there's, there's options to us and all those things. But listen, in the end, if you lose all your appeals and the tax is this, what do you do? You pay it. Even if you disagree with some of the statutes that the government has, within reason, we submit to them. That word submit is the Greek word hupotasso. Everybody say hupotasso one more time. We've been talking about that through this whole book of Titus because it's one of Paul's favorite words. He basically uses it in describing every one of the groups that he addresses in his letter to Titus. He says, hey, make sure that there's their hupotasso, that they submit. And it's the same when it comes to our governing authorities. We comply. We're submissive. We're obedient. But we're also ready for every good work. You see that? We, we don't just wait for the government to tell us to do things. We understand that we have a mandate as followers of Jesus Christ to do things without the government's behest. That's why Gift of Hope, which went off this weekend awesomely, uh, is, is a project of local churches. It's not government-funded. It's not government-led or directed. 
It's Christian-led. It's Christian-directed. Why? Because there's needs in our community. It'd be great for people to be able to have a nice Thanksgiving dinner. If they can't afford it, guess what the Christians do? They buy them mashed potatoes and gravy. All right? And 1,500 people come through a tent on First Baptist Church's property, and they pick up their mashed potatoes and gravy, and, and no one's there for a photo op or a campaign speech or anything like that. It's just Christians being Christians because it's what Christians do. Are you with me? Before the government got involved in social services, there was the church. In the Middle Ages, when cities would be just wrought with disease, like the plague, everybody else was leaving. Where were the Christians going? Into the city to serve those who had need. That's who we are. And so when it comes to our, our communities, we're the leaders in making a difference and seeing the opportunities and stepping in on behalf of God and making a difference there. I could go to the teachings of Christ. He talked about the government in, in many different ways. One of my favorite sayings he said was in Mark chapter 12 where, where he was asked about the, the tax to Caesar. Anybody remember that story? Uh, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, someone bring me a coin. And he says, Who's, whose name's on the coin? And every coin uh, that was given for this particular tax bore the image of Caesar and had his name inscripted on it. And Jesus said this phrase, you remember it? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And render under God what is God's. He, in that one phrase, uh, he, can, he gave us the rails that we ride on in this relationship that we have with our government. Whatever the, uh, is, is reasonable from our government, even if we disagree with them, I want to get to that in a second. Whatever is reasonable from our government, we submit. Romans chapter 13. Uh, 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 Acts chapter 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. There's so many different texts I could take you to that delineate that, uh, that we submit to our government. Let me give you just, these are some one-offs. This isn't in the text this morning, but let me just give you my personal idea as a pastor as far as your government goes. First of all, if you're a Christian, you should be engaged in whatever your government allows you to be engaged in. That means if you, if you can vote, you vote. Go vote. Participate in your government. Uh, uh, secondly, if, 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 if you're a Christian, when it comes to your government, you pray. You pray hard for your leaders, and not just the ones you want to win. You pray hard for those who are in office. You ask God to lead them, even if it's despite them. <laughs> God, govern these who govern. Now you pray for God to bless them. Uh, th these, are, these are the missions of the church. We, we vote, we active, actively participate in what the government allows, we pray. Uh, get this real quick we guard what we say about our leaders and I'm, I'm stepping on some people's radio time here but uh if you if you turn on you know talk radio whatever your slant is republican democrat uh anything in between you're going to have people who are going to well they spend three hours slinging muck at the other side okay you got to ask yourself is that a good investment uh, of your listening time is that leading you uh, to holiness? Or is that uh, making you angry, hateful, is it building up enmity and bitterness in you? I'm just saying. I'm not saying that you should not be politically active or engaged, but I am, be, I, I am saying we should be careful to what extent we take that, especially if it becomes us as Christians participating in the muck throwing. If we stand by the water cooler and 
and just obliterate certain political figures. Is, is that a good investment with our tongues? Is that what God wants us to do? I, I would submit to you, no. We're all over Scripture. It talks to us about, about not letting, un, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only things that are good for the edification of those. Right? Mom always said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. Right? Got to be careful with that. Have your views. Define your, your standards. Certainly, defend God and his holiness when it comes to politics and the government. But be careful in the words that you choose to use about those that you disagree with. God wa wants us be studied and measured in those things. Uh, what do I do if I disagree with my government? Well, a couple things. We obey up until the government asks us to break a command of God. Is everybody clear on that? If our government came in and said, you know what, you can't meet at the church anymore. You can't be Christians anymore, which has happened in the history of our world on several different occasions and still uh, actually happens today, Middle East, other places. Do we stop being Christians in those instances? No, we persist in our faith because the government is not our, our highest authority. Our highest authority is our God. We're Christians first and Americans after that. Are you with me? So if that ever comes down in our society, I'll meet you in my basement. I'll dig one. I'll have to dig one. But, but we're, we're going to continue to hang out and, and honor Jesus, even if it means we go to jail, even if it means our lives, we follow Christ. But we follow our government up until it tells us not to follow God. Remember the story, I mentioned Acts 5. The disciples in Acts chapter 5, uh, uh, while they were preaching the gospel, and, and the, the, the rulers, the government authorities in Jerusalem caught them, and they said, hey, what are you doing? You're talking all this mess about a dead uh, carpenter from Nazareth. You can't keep doing that. And you remember what Paul, or Peter, Paul wasn't there yet. <laughs> and remember what Peter said? Uh, after the, the governor said, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Uh, but you're still here. You're filling Jerusalem with this teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're actually implicating us in the death of your Savior, this Jesus of Nazareth. And their message to him was, you've got to knock it off, or we're going to take things into our own hands. Here's what Peter said in response, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. He says, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. When it comes to our government, God's first. When our government asks us to do things that are against him, we say no. Now, here's something we've got to kind of wrestle with, and let's, let's go into like five minutes of un uneasiness. Here we go. <laughs> Yay! Uh, your conscience and my conscience might be different when it comes to the government. Now, there's going to be certain things where we're like, absolutely, there is no, you know, uh, argument on this. The scriptures are clear, and we, we go this way when it comes to whatever the situation is. But there's going to be some situations. Like one of the most uh, you know, recent ones was there was a, a clerk in Kentucky who refused to issue a uh, marriage license to homosexual uh, people wanting to be married. Heard of that? Been under a rock for a year? Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, that was a big one. And I remember having conversations in my live group with different people. You know, should she have done that? Should she not have done that? Um, people came down on different sides with that. Uh, I believe that just because my government says something's okay, I don't have to agree with it being okay, uh, but I'm not 
uh, once they've said it's okay, like, like, and let's go back through this. Does the government say it's okay for us to be drunk? Not in public or while we're driving, but you can be drunk. Do Christians believe it's okay to be drunk? No. And so just because my government endorses drunkenness doesn't mean I endorse drunkenness. My government says okay, it's okay for heterosexual couples who are not married to engage in sexual relationships. Do I think that's okay? No, it's called fornication. Or in other instances, it's called adultery. The government says, have at it, have fun. In fact, it endorses it. Here's condoms. We'll hand them out of college, right? But do I think that's okay? No. Do I think it's okay that homosexuals are joined together in marriage? No. Does my government now say that it's okay? Yeah. And so people, people land on different sides of that. Just like we've always landed on different sides of what our government has endorsed as morality around here. So some of us thought, you know, she went a little too far when she wasn't issuing the licenses. Others might have thought, you know, she's my hero. I've got a poster of her in my room. Okay? Wherever you landed on that, that was a matter of conscience. And here's what I'd tell you. When the government says to blatantly violate uh, God's commands, we say no. When, when the government leads us into things and it violates our conscience before God, if I have anything to respect in this woman, she felt certain that this was something that would offend her God and she wasn't going to be a part of it. Good honor if that's the decision that she made. Here's the one condition. Everybody lean in. Here's the uncomfortable part. Anytime you take a stand for Jesus, when it goes against your government, be ready for the repercussions. Okay, we can't as Christians have our cake and eat it too. We can't stand in front of our government and say, you know what, I don't believe this is right. God's word says this, and you should not do this, and expect them to be like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's totally true, absolutely. No, they're going to be like, hey, you're a wackadoodle, because you know, that's how they portray us as Christians. They always put the wackiest Christians on TV. Have you noticed this? You're a wackadoodle with all those other wackadoodle Christians, and, and, and so we're going to handle you this way. We're going to incarcerate you. We're going to... Um, assassinate your character. We're going to do everything that we can. You're going to be ruined in some respects because you take the stand. Should we be surprised by that? Just so you know, the answer is always no. Because we are not of this world. And this world will not understand our standards and our positions. And they will come against us as they have for 2,000 years. They will come against us. And when we make a stand, we just need to be ready to accept the repercussions. Let me just kind of cap this first part off here by just reading with you some more verses. These are in First Timothy, or excuse me, First Timothy, First Peter, chapter two. Let me go to the next slide for me. Here we go. Be subject. This is another another place where another writer in the scriptures uh, addresses this this situation. He says. Uh, Peter to his his readers he says be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution he's talking about governments uh, whether it be to the emperor as supreme verse 14 or to the governor as sent by him so we're not just talking the president you know we're talking every layer or level of government be subject to him uh, to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good verse 15 for this is the will of God. Anybody ever wondered about the will of God? There are, there are times in the scripture where it just says in black and white Greek lettering, hey, this is the will of God. There's, there's a general will of God that every Christian is meant to follow. There's a specific will of God that's going to be tailored to your life. But if you've ever wondered about the general, I wonder what God's will is for me when it comes to the government. Here's the will of God. 
that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That you, by doing good, by, by submitting to the government, by, by being the very best citizens in the entire registry of citizenship, that by doing that, you'll bring glory to God, you'll silence. Isn't that interesting? That you'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, this funny thing happens. When Christians act really Christian, they don't give any of the non-Christians or the outside world ammo to use against them. It's when we go off the sheet, off the page, and we start acting like the world, and when they, you know, disagree with us on Facebook, we bomb them back. Or we, you know, meet vitriol with vitriol, and we, we get our talking head on the, t- on the TV show next to their talking head, and we go at it with the culture wars, right? It's then that they have the rocks to throw, the insults to hurl. But it's when we, like Jesus did, you don't choose to act like Christ in the face of government officials. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate? Did he unroll his, his manifesto? Hey, I'm so glad I finally got here. It took so long. I just wanted to get in front of a Roman official so I could tell everybody you know, how this is supposed to be. Here it is. And he just unrolled the scroll. And he said, hey, Pilate, here's 50 things that I want you to start working on in this calendar year. Government. Is that what he did? No. Yeah, he, he barely defended himself. In all five of his trials, he just... He turned the other cheek. He gave them no ammo in which to use against him. Verse 16, live as people, he says here, who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil... We talked about that. License should never be used to excuse immoral behavior. But living as servants of God, even though we're free to, to do uh, you know, certain things within the government, we, we choose them not so that we can have uh, allegiance to God first and honor him when it comes to our citizenry. Verse 17, honor every, this is a great verse, where I want to get to. Four things in this verse. It says, first of all, what's the first one? Honor everyone. We're going to talk about neighbors a sec next year. When it comes to the people in the land that you live in, honor them. Love who? Love the brotherhood. Who's, who's the brotherhood? Us. Okay? I'm not saying that you uh, have different levels of love or different, you know, uh, uh, hearts for different people, those who are in and those who are out. But what it talks about here is that especially in a world that is, does not understand us, maybe against us, that when, when, when the world comes and and, and pushes on us and what we believe that we, we come to each other and we rally for each other. We stand in support of each other. So we seek to always honor our neighbors who are not yet Christians. We seek to always uh, buffet and, and, and encourage and, 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 and uh, withhold, uphold, withhold, not withhold, uphold those who are uh, in the brotherhood. And then here we go, just so if we were unclear on the priorities one more time. What does he say first, the next phrase? Fear who? Fear God. All right, so God's first, and then what? And then honor the emperor, your governor. Isn't that a great little one-off? If you, if you want to write a verse on a, on a card this week, there, there's a good verse for you. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to really love my Christian neighbors. I'm going to fear God above all things, but I'm going to seek to be the best citizen that I can be. Now, when it comes to neighbors, let's talk about them. When it comes to neighbors... That's where it's going to go next. We must show Jesus in our lives with them. Look what it says. Oh, yeah, when it comes to neighbors. There it is right there. When it comes to neighbors, we must show Jesus in our lives with them. Look what it says here in verse 2. Again, it's part of the reminder here. 
he's saying that to Titus, remind those in the Cretan churches to speak evil of who? Of no one. We're going to find the context of no one here at the end of the verse. So let's keep reading. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy, courtesy towards how many? All people. He's going into the neighborly realm. He started with the governments, and especially the, you know, the rulers and the authorities. He says, submit to them. But then as you get down to the, to the, to the ground level of your American citizenship, and you, you live in community with people in your neighborhoods, here's how you treat them. When it comes to all people, we speak evil of no one, we avoid quarreling, we're gentle, and we show perfect courtesy. Let's just break those four things down. The first one has to deal with our tongue. Everybody grab your tongue just for fun. You can let go in a second. Ah. Kind of move it around. Just wiggle around. Ah. You're controlling your tongue when you do that, right? Wouldn't it be great if every time we were about to say something really stupid, we had like this third hand that just shot out of somewhere and grabbed our tongue like that and kept us from saying stuff? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes. Right? Uh, maybe you've done that. Maybe Anybody ever thought something? And then by the grace of God, you had this, the courage and strength, the, 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 the foresight to be like, oh! And does anybody ever like try to pry it out of you? Yeah. What were we going to say? What was that about? Come on, what was that? No, 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 no. Just so you know, while I'm preaching, there's another conversation going on in my head. And there are several times where there is something ready to come out, and by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit says, no, Mark, that is not going to be helpful. Leave that in there. And it stays inside. Sometimes it slips out. You've been here for them. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but our tongues, it says in James that our tongues can set our worlds on fire. Our tongues, if there's anything that can affect the neighborly relationships that we have uh, in an adverse way or in a positive way, it's, it's our words. Most of us aren't going to come to fisticuffs with our neighbors. Uh, most of us aren't going to have passive-aggressive battles with them where we move. I had this one friend who was, you know, he, he, his neighbor would constantly move the marker that was their property line, so he had the tree. Anybody ever heard something like that? He would just go out there at night and move the marker over so that that whatever tree was his. Uh, that's not usually how we settle things with our neighbors. Usually, if we get out of sorts with our neighbors, we go to the fence and we start yelling, Hey, Bozo! <laughs> Keep your dog in your yard. If I pick up another one of his little presents over here, right? Anybody with me? I never, I've never done that, just so you know. No, when it comes to our neighbors, we're, we're careful with our words. Same thing with our leaders, but especially with our neighbors. We don't allow our words to ruin our testimony to our neighbors in traffic, at, at the job. We're careful with our words. You want to see what Jesus said about, or what was said about Jesus when it comes to words? Look at what it says here in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Peter writing to his, his readers, he says, when he was reviled, Jesus was reviled, uh, he did not what? When, 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 when people spoke uh, evil to him and evil about him, uh, he, didn't, he didn't go on Facebook and, and fire back. When he suffered... He did not threaten. That, that's amazing to me. Because uh, Jesus, first of all, allowed himself to suffer. Everything that he suffered, he allowed himself. He didn't have to do that. He chose it. He humbled himself, like it tells us in Philippians 2. He allowed every bit of his suffering. And in every instance where he was uh, you know, suffering at the hands of man, he could have aced that person, those group of people. He could have just ended it instantly. 
had the power to do so. And yet, he didn't threaten them. He didn't say, come any closer with that cat of nine tails, and I'm going I'm to disintegrate you. We're going back to dust, bro. No, he didn't do any of that. When he suffered, he, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who are we talking about there? He's talking about his heavenly father. Jesus said, Father, you take care of me. Not my will be done, but yours. You've got my back. You handle my battles. Now, am I saying that you're a doormat for your neighbors and that you don't, uh, you know, do things that, you know, will protect you or your family? Absolutely, I'm not not saying that at all. But I am saying that uh, when it comes to fighting fire with fire, we don't fight with fire. We fight with water. And we seek to bring all these next things into the the relationships with our neighbors so that we have... uh, We've honored Christ and how we deal with it. Uh, how do we uh, work at not speaking evil uh, to, to our neighbors? Uh, let's go back to the verse, if we can, to verse uh, 2, if you could. Chapter 3, verse 2. Just go back a slide. Hurry. There we go. Speak evil of no one. Uh, it says avoid quarreling. You know what this word is? Uh, in the Greek word, this is, uh, uh, it's actually the negative use of the word blasphemo. Everybody say blasphemo. It says, no blasphemy. Don't blaspheme people around you. Uh, It it essentially means, hey, uh, keep the peace. Oh, I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong word. Blasphemo was to speak evil of no one. Do I get a do-over? This word is amikos. Everybody say amikos. Amikos is the same word that uh, we use in our English word amicable. And it basically means peaceable. All right? This is where we talk about quarreling. Sorry about that. Uh, we, we need to avoid quarreling. We, we need to be peaceable people when it comes to our neighbors. Forgiving. Uh, even when we are in conflict. Did you know you can have conflict without volume raising and things being thrown? You, 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 yes, you can, Larry. You totally can. I'm glad, I'm glad you came this morning. Because this message must be for you. That's good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's entirely possible for you to conflict well with those that conflict with you. If someone else doesn't believe it either. It's just true. Because here's the deal. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? We're supposed to be peaceful. That's the next thing uh, that we see there. We're, we're, we're meant to be gentle in our dealings with our neighbors. Uh, gentle here is a word that basically means merciful, sensitive to someone's need. Patient in fulfilling those needs. So often we can kind of be in this adversarial relationship with neighbors, and we never stop to think that we may not be the enemy or the one who's coming against them, or that's not God's intent for us. We may be the solution for whatever they're going through. Instead of taking this adversarial position, maybe we're meant to come alongside of them, like the Samaritan did. Remember the good Samaritan? Right? Maybe that's us. I remember the story that Stephen Covey told him. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he was sitting on a, on a train in New York somewhere. He was going home after a long day of riding. He was beaten. On, onto the train comes his dad, a young father with his, his young children. And the dad sits down on one of the benches across from him, and, uh, and the children proceed to terrorize the entire train. I mean, they, 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 there's bad kids, but these kids were off the chain. They were just out of control. They're going up, they're grabbing people's bags and looking at them. Uh, you know, they're pointing and laughing at, you know, 
and, and calling people. I mean, they're just bad. And Covey relates this in his book. And he's just looking and, you know, uh, for the first few minutes, he's just kind of being like, well, you know. Because the dad's just sitting there, catatonic, just kind of staring out in the space. And af- after a while, uh, he's getting really angry at this father. Do something, bro. Parent up a little bit, right? I mean, handle something. And finally, he can take it no longer because the kids are starting to get to him and starting to move on to him. And he's just trying to defend one of these kids off. He says to the father, hey, little help here. Can you maybe, like, maybe handle up on some of your kids? And it's only then that the father kind of snaps out of his haze. And he turns to Stephen Coven and he says, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We, we just came from the hospital uh, where their mother passed away. Uh, and we're riding home, and, and I'm trying to get my head around it. I'm sure they are too, and, and I apologize. Uh, this is what has happened in our lives. Well, with that information, Stephen Covey went from being judge to being shepherd. He went from a position of adversary to a, a position of, how can I help? And he sat right next to the guy and walked him home. I mean, things changed, right? And how many times, listen, how many times do you sit there, formulate opinions, you and me both, formulate opinions about someone at work or someone in the community that you live in, and that's just who that person is. You gave them that one shot to not be a jerk, and they were a jerk, and now they're a jerk. And so everything else they do, they, you kind of funnel it through that whole they're a jerk thing, and you've never paused to see what's behind their story, to, to see what's going on. There, listen, anybody here got some hurts in life? Anybody ever gone through something? Did that change who you were fundamentally for a little while? Is that possible that those are the kinds of things that are happening in the lives of the people around you? And that you might be God's source of grace and mercy and strength? Be gentle. Now, sometimes people are just jerks. And when that happens, well, we're gentle and upright and just and all those things. But a lot of times people are just functioning from a place of extreme pain. They just don't know what to do. And instead of you coming against them, you get to be the one that comes alongside of them. May God grant us the grace to do that. Let's do one more. It says there that we need to be gentle and we need to show perfect courtesy. Perfect courtesy. <laughs> uh, that means perfect courtesy is, is kind of how the English Standard Version chooses to render that. It, it, it's basically a Greek word that means be humble. Remember, remember when it said in the first verse uh, that we should hupotasso? Uh, to the government, we should submit to the government. But basically what it's saying here at the end of this verse as it pertains to all people is that we need to show them perfect courtesy. We need to be humble. We need to, to not think that we're better than them. Now, this is a hard thing for humans, isn't it? Because you walk into a room and you might not do it consciously uh, or you, you might not do this, you know, you, you might even disagree with me on this, but I think it's part of the human condition to say, uh, I'm better than them, I'm on par with them, and I'm not as good as them, whoever they are in those groups. We're slaughters. We love to slot each other into spaces uh, that God never intended us to have as part of our evaluation of the humans on this planet, right? Here's what he wants. God wants us to see ourselves here, everybody else above us, and then him highest of all. You ever heard me talk about we're third? We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's that priority list. And, and this hupotasso, this perfect courtesy, this humility uh, that we're meant to bring to our neighbors is, is us saying to ourselves, hey, I'm here for them. I'm here 
uh, as God's agent to benefit their lives. If we come to people that way, instead of with the entitlement that so many of us feel, or if we come to people that way, uh, not thinking highly of ourselves, like it talks about in James chapter 2, don't show favorites. Don't, don't think highly of yourself and less of someone else. When we come to people with, with that humility, like Jesus came to us with, then we're so much better set up to serve. We're so much better set up to be Christ-like in those relationships. Well, I'm going to finish early this morning. Someone might want to write this down. But I think those are the things that God wants to remind us of this morning. There's other things. Uh, I'm praying for us all that we would be, you know, just bowled over by the grace of God, that we become more and more like Jesus. But when it comes to these two areas, to our government, to our neighborhoods, and the relationships that we have, may God find us faithful. May we honor him and seek to live like his son Jesus in the relationships he's given us. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for your word and a chance to examine it. Uh, if we had uh, another 20 minutes, we'd be talking about those verses that come after that explain uh, our motivation for, for doing these things. Thanks for your grace, God, and its motivational, uh, compelling component in our lives. Uh, you've given us everything. You've saved us uh, from the treachery of our sin, and it's because you've done that. You've, you've set us on a life, God, or set us on this course in life to, uh, to be agents and givers of that same grace to people. So help us as citizens of our country to, to submit to you know, the authorities that are over us, to, to, never, <laughs> to never mess up the priorities, God. We need to fear you first before we honor our emperor. But give us the strength, God, to be the best citizens that we can be. Give us the strength, God, to be the best neighbors that we can be, to set ourselves aside and to, to choose to uh, give people the benefit of the doubt or the benefit of the grace, whatever you want to call it, and to, and to, and to, and to afford them a, a, a gentleness and a, and a kindness and a, uh, you know, a, a, an unwillingness to quarrel or to speak poorly of them. Give us, give us that grace, God, in handling our relationships. Help us uh, to do that within the body as well and uh, to honor you, Lord, with, the, uh, with all that you've given us because you've given us all. Uh, and we, we want to live in mindful of that and, and in gratitude to that. So uh, that's my prayer for us as a church this morning, God. Uh, give us a great holiday season, a great Thanksgiving, a great Christmas, a great time of remembering what you've done for us so that we can go and be inspired to do more for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go.